There's a festering problem growing beneath the surface of small businesses everywhere, and it's an issue that most SMBs are refusing to address. As large-scale companies invest big money in information security teams to protect themselves from data breaches and bad actors, their small business brethren simply refuse to invest in security at all. People don't only spend money on things they can detect. Gary Chan is an information security management consultant and president of Alfizo, a company that is helping SMBs and large-scale enterprises use IT as an enabler while meeting compliance, security, and privacy obligations. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Gary dives into some of the biggest obstacles facing SMBs from a security perspective and why small businesses leave themselves vulnerable to cyber attacks. Plus, he explains why regardless of how secure your network may be, the weakest link remains your staff. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have information security management consultant and president at Alfizo, Gary Chan. Gary, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Albert, and thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. All right, let's get started. What exactly is, am I pronouncing it right, first of all? Is it Alfizo or Alfizo? You know, I get that question a lot. It's actually Alfizo, but I guess I, I'll, I'll do Alfizo as well, as long as you can spell it. A-L-F-I-Z-O. <laughs> what is Alfizo? And also, give us a little bit of background, because information security is huge, right? Tell me about your specialty. Do you have a specialty, or do you handle all types of cases? I'm curious about the business and yourself. Give us a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, Alfizo helps companies uh, in a few different ways, enabling their sales, meeting compliance, and keeping themselves safe. So it does that through uh, information security management consulting. So management, uh, as in not uh, down in the weeds of the details, but really more strategic, right? So if your business has a problem looking at a very high level, uh, helping you understand what the risks are, helping you understand if you should even be spending money fixing it. So really looking at that at that strategic level. So um, normally talking with the C-suite or something like that. Uh, so that's really what I specialize in. If you want to go into a lot more of the technical stuff, I can certainly talk about it. I can probably even help with some of it, but I probably wouldn't. I'd just pass you on to other folks. So that's sort of the, the business model. Gotcha. And is there a specialty, any type of like focus key areas that you are specialized in? Well, the specialty being management consulting. So you know, really just emphasizing the business aspect of information security. So give me an example of why this could potentially be a problem. Um, I always like to think of it through the eyes of our customer, because let's think of it this way. If we're our audience, right? If I'm, a, if I'm a business, and this is the challenger question, Gary, right? If I'm a business, why would I hire somebody to tell me what to do, but not actually do it? No, oh, that makes it. <laughs> that, that's very fun. So, uh, well, I think that the, the amount of uh, value that really comes from it uh, is really understanding how closely tied it is to the business. I think that's the the aspect that you miss when you hire someone who's very technical because they just automatically want to solve the problem. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, most of the time, uh, actually, I do this just sort of for fun. I'm not even. I don't really care if I make money off of this. What I usually do is I just really point people to free stuff. Uh, and say, hey, why don't you go do these things? Because frankly, you shouldn't be spending a whole ton of money on this if you're a small business. So really, I can save you a ton of money uh, because uh, you can then focus in the right areas. Uh, if you see something, so for example, right, 
you know, if if you go in and you see uh, some something looking uh, weird uh, on your computer and you automatically assume that it's malware and you go hire a technical guy to come in, he might all of a sudden, uh, you know, charge you to install uh, a whole bunch of software, whole, uh, do a vulnerability scan, um, you know, tr start training your employees to do stuff. On the other hand, if you hire somebody who does management consulting, they'll go in, take a look at it, maybe identify that issue and say, hey, you know what, on that computer, you don't even have anything important on it. So why do you even want to secure it? So maybe we just sort of wipe it, start over, and you're done. So really just looking at it from a really tying it to business metrics, uh, that's really what management consulting is doing to make sure that you can really get that value out from it. Uh, so as another example, looking at it from a sales perspective, right? So coming in and saying, well, why do you even want to do all this stuff? Are you actually going to make money off of it? Is a customer going to buy more because you have this security? And there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do, but if you, you're not going to make any more money, why are you going to go do it? So really helping you think through a lot of that stuff versus just being, hey, let's just go secure everything, which is what a technical guy is going to do. Is that what a lot of people are currently thinking right now? Is that, hey, listen, obviously we don't want to expose ourselves to vulnerabilities. We want to secure everything. Is that, the, is that the attitude currently right now? Or what are you seeing, I guess, in the marketplace in regards to attitude towards security? Uh, I see sort of two. One is I don't need security. I've never had any problems here. Uh, and so they have a detection problem, right? Like if you've never seen any sort of security issue, you probably just aren't detecting it. Then there's the other side, which is like total fear, which is, oh my gosh, you know, my friend got this ransomware and that knocked him out for like months. And I don't want the same thing to happen to me. So I need to buy everything under the sun. So usually I really get the extremes. Um, and what I'm saying is, hey, you know, let's, let's go about this from a business angle and just see kind of what are the what are the things that you should be doing for your business? So if, for example, um, you're a furniture store and you sell furniture uh, and you really don't have any sensitive information, you know, just don't waste a whole bunch of your money. You should do some of the basic stuff. So if you do get sued, that, you know, it, you're not at, le at least you're not negligent, but your bar should be way, way lower than somebody else who's like collecting, you know, patient information because they're a doctor physician office, right? So really understanding what it is that you have, how valuable it is, whether or not people are even going to really try to steal it. You know, these elements are, are just things that people don't really think about. They usually just come in as, hey, I read a whole bunch of stuff on the news, I'm really scared, um, or I really don't need anything at all um, because nothing's happened to me in the past. All right. So that's a very contrarian point of view that you just kind of shared right there, which is that you might be so small that no one's even going to bother stealing it. I mean, is that really... Is, so? Because we kind of hear, we kind of hear all different types of, let's say, pitches or promises or FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, doubt articles. There's always these things about, hey, you know, big hacks, big ransoms, big thefts of data, personal PII data, whatever used against you. But at the small business level, I agree because I've, I've been operated and I've currently operate a small business. I am legitimately not as worried. Uh, and should I be? At the small business level, the SMB level, are cyber, are cyber attacks still happening? Or what gives you the reasoning that, I guess, like my uh, cause for alarm or my paranoia should be lowered? <laughs> well, I don't. So it, you asked a whole bunch of different questions there. So let me break it down a bit. I, I know. I always tend to do that. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty typical question I get. So what I would say, 
is that small businesses definitely get attacked more than big businesses. So if you're afraid of being attacked, you're definitely being attacked more. Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is uh, because small businesses generally have less security. So the, you know, it's, it's just an opportunity thing, right? If, if your door is unlocked, I'm going to come steal from you. Another element, just from a statistics perspective, is that there are a lot more small businesses than big businesses. So of course, you're going to end up with a bigger number, right? If your pool is bigger, you're going to have more fish. So I would say if you're afraid of being attacked, well, okay, as a small business, you're going to get attacked more. But my point was, if I took everything that you had and just posted it up on the internet, like how much would you cry? That's really my, that's really my measure, right? So um, if you're like, hey, look, you know, I'm making these podcasts and I just post up on, on the internet. So someone steals it. They're going to get, you know, they're going to get to hear this footage like two weeks before everyone else. Well, well why are you going to bother, you know, really securing that? Right. But I would say that there are certain elements you'll probably want to protect, like, you know, your social security numbers of your employees and something like that. If you want to, yeah. if you know that you've just got some very sensitive stuff, maybe just keep it on like one separate computer that you really just don't boot up very much or something like that. There's things you can do that are really, really low cost. And I would say the, the main thing here is that when people are attacking small businesses, unlike large businesses, for small businesses, they tend to be opportunistic. Uh, so basically, you don't have to run faster than like the bear. You just have to run faster than like everyone else around or, or, or the last or the slowest guy. That makes sense. So what I do is I just like, hey, just you know, do a bunch of this free stuff. You know, uh, at this point, a lot of the antivirus software is free just install it and you're already better than like half of your peers. And simply by doing that, you're already going to be fine uh, or at least better. I wouldn't say, I would never give a guarantee, but it would definitely be better than like half because those folks, there's just so many that just don't even bother at all. What about all the small business operators who just think to themselves, well, I'll just rely. And, and it's not just small business operators because I know for a fact, I know some developers who think this way as well. Well, I'll just rely on the security because everything's service-based now all my information service-based, right? So my customer records are kept in my CRM. My payment records are kept in my payments processing portal. Uh, let's say I use Square. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I use Square, then all my payments and my customers are there. My employees are maybe in like a, a simple PEO software or application that's going to be an enterprise company. That, And then let's say if I build my own custom application or something like that, it might be used one of the public clouds. A lot of the defense is just, well, they already have security. Those companies have security. So therefore, my I have security, right? I don't use anything. For example, maybe I don't use anything on a local machine. Well, at least they don't think they do. What is your response to people who say like, well, I just rely on the, the service providers. The service providers are typically giant companies. They might be for SMB, right? Like my CRM might be HubSpot, but HubSpot's a multi-billion dollar company. They got my security on lockdown. I don't need to worry about this, Gary. Well, my, my response is, I, I think that is, you know, and, and from the way that you asked, I, I think you already expect a particular type of answer. Uh, and I would say that that is definitely a very naive way of thinking, uh, which is what you're probably expecting me to say. So, well, just because the other company has security doesn't mean that they secure everything. Uh, so let me be clearer, right? So, you know, let's say that you're using the HubSpot because that was your example. They've got a lot of security on their side to look for particular things, right? So they may have a firewall or something like that to, to help prevent uh, known you know, bad IP addresses, uh, people coming from bad IP addresses to come in. But what they're not going to be looking for is, you know, what if uh, Albert uh, you know, got his e uh, email address and his username, uh, sorry, his username and password fished. Uh, so now someone else logs in as Albert and goes and steals all that information. You know, HubSpot is not going to 
really be looking for that. Uh, or maybe, you know, Albert doesn't do any business in Russia. And so it's kind of odd that, uh, you know, all of the logins come in from Russia to all of Albert's accounts. Well, HubSpot's not going to know you don't do business in Russia. So, you know, they're, they're not going to stop that. Uh, so there's a whole ton of security that is not outsourced. You cannot outsource it because your security provider has no idea that, you know, what your business is about. Uh, so there's no way they can protect it. So I would say that that is a, um, that is a very common perception, a common misperception. And I would say that's something that a technical uh, consultant wouldn't necessarily address, but a management consultant would, would be explaining like what, what are those activities and things that you should be worried about or not worried about, and then where to spend those dollars uh, so that you can uh, maximize uh, your investment. So one of the things that we've had, or one of the guests we've had in the past talks about how like the biggest compromise actually isn't at the technical level. It's not a virus or a worm that's going to get into your system. It's more like your login. Inf- he, the person said it like your login information is actually more critical. Because if someone can obtain your login information, then they don't have to do any type of hacking. They're just going to log in and do whatever they want. <laughs> That's right. More than, more than half of the ways that people get in is, you know, I think like 70% use stolen credentials or something, 70% of hacks. So yeah, that's absolutely it. And that's why, that's why I kind of mentioned it because that is the most common way. What is uh, what's the number one way to prevent stolen credentials? Or I guess there's no such thing as number one. What is like a, what's like a multi-step triage, I guess? What are your top, top, <laughs> top like a blended top recommendations of ways to protect your personal credentials? Oh, oh, it's actually pretty straightforward. Yeah. What is it? What is it? So uh, there, there are a couple of things you should do. One is use a password vault. Uh, so something like LastPass and all this. And I'm a really, I'm a fan of a lot of this free stuff because I, I know I'm talking to a lot of small businesses uh, as audiences and um, you know, that's what they kind of like, right? So just use some of these uh, free password vaults. Uh, put your passwords in there. And, uh, you know, just, you know, only just be uh, careful not to put it like in a in notepad uh, and leave it on your desktop or something or, or upload that to some other cloud provider because you never know where it ends up. iCloud. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. I see iClouds get hacked all the time. <laughs> exactly. That is that is something I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about some of that stuff in a bit. But but yeah, so use a password vault would, would be one. And, and the second thing that I would say, I need I, you have to do both of these things. And the second thing that you do is the multi-factor authentication, right? So the whole reason that MFA uh, exists uh, is because people tend to lose their passwords. But if you, for example, get uh, a token like that's generated on your phone, uh, like, you know, so MFA comes in a few forms, but like, for example, you log into a, a website with your username and password, then it you know, either will send you an SMS message with a second code, or maybe it tells you to look up on your phone, like in this app for this randomly generated number, you know, that is extremely helpful because even if someone fishes you and steals your password, they won't have your code necessarily. That's a lot harder to steal. So if you enable MFA in those accounts, you're better off. So again, just the two things, one is having a password vault that helps keep your password safe. And then the second, uh, is having MFA because even if they do steal your password, you know you you have that second layer of protection right there. Okay, so those are two very very easy things to do. What is the resistance at the small business level to doing these things? And the reason why I want to talk about this because is because a lot of our listenership is I would say they're engineers on let's say bigger companies or bigger projects, but this seems like an opportunity because if 
At the small business level, which we already agree accounts for more than 50% of business, and I think 50% of employment is at the small business level, they are not willing to do these steps. I'd love for you to share the problems so that you know maybe hopefully someone could come up with a solution. Because I'll tell you this, I have an authenticator app, as you suggested, and I always wonder, like, okay, it's kind of annoying. That's the number one thing I'll get from it is like, man, it's kind of annoying. It's like, can't log in. I'll give you an example. Like, I buy Facebook ads. Well, you can't buy Facebook ads unless you have 2FA on. They won't allow it. Or they won't allow you to buy specific types of ads. But you have to have 2FA. So every time I log in, I think I'm ready to buy an ad. I'm like, oh, geez, I got to authenticate. <laughs> it's, uh, to me, it's annoying. What, what are some of the resistance points that small businesses have? And then what's the opportunity in front of uh, anyone who wants to engineer a solution here? That's it. You just described that. That's basically it. So <laughs> it's, a, it's just annoying. People don't want to bother. They just don't want to do it. So um, it's just not a priority. They don't want to spend the time. Whatever it is, um, you know, and then if you think about, you know, if, you, if you're talking about large businesses, right, so if you get, you know, large hospital systems, right, doctors hate MFA because they go from room to room, uh, they have to log into each computer, and then now they all of a sudden they have an extra step, right? So you've got these workflow issues, whether it's a small business or a large business, the point is that it's just inconvenient. The good thing about large businesses is that this is usually not a discussion, uh, it's just written in the policy. And if you want to work there, you have to do it. <laughs> and so I think large businesses, in a way, it's actually much, much easier to talk information security because they have teams of security people who get it. And they also have the policies and the infrastructure to just sort of force uh, certain things like MFA. But in terms of why not, you you nailed it on the head. It was It's just annoying. It's an inconvenience. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. But you just have to do it. So for yourself, Alfiza, do you guys work more with small businesses or what, what size businesses do you guys work with? Uh, so small and uh, I would say, uh, well, it depends. Uh, paying clients are uh, really just large uh, and medium. Uh, with small businesses, like I said, I usually just uh, do it for fun um, and there's no payment. Uh, it's usually just giving them uh, some good ideas on why they should be doing certain things uh, and then uh, moving on. And usually I just get a lot of information, better understand the market. And that's how I get paid is through the information. Uh, so I would say really it's large businesses. The larger it is, the easier it is to sell information security, very frankly. All right. So give me an idea of what are some of the largest businesses? What are they hiring you? What, what kind of problems are you solving? Well, I would say a couple of things, right? They really just come in two flavors. Um, one is uh, information security assessments to really just understand what it is that that their risk posture is, and then tying it to you know business metrics, making a business case on why you should or shouldn't make an investment in something. Um, and the second is usually just a, a very off the wall project uh, where uh, they just don't have people on their team that want to be doing it. And then it's just coming up with the high level design architecture. You know, maybe, uh, maybe they just have a problem. They don't know, they don't have an idea on how to solve it, right? And just coming up with what that might look like and then putting together again, the business case to figure out whether or not it makes sense to even go do, right? Because you don't want to spend $5 million to go do something that ends up you know, not working out. So you want to know and plan for all of that. Uh, so that's usually the two things, information security assessments and just, I would say, off the wall projects. All right, Gary, now you're going to tell our audience why they choose you to do these risk, these risk assessments. Because So we did a little homework on you. We know you're from MIT. So right out the gate, you're very, very smart. But then again, a lot of our guests here are smart. On the, the, A lot of our guests and our audience is extremely smart. They go to schools like that. What's in your background that gives you this unique opportunity to provide these assessments? Well, I would say my differentiator is really uh, the word pragmatic. So I put that up on my website. So pragmatic information security, uh, I really tie it to business needs. Everything that I do 
really tied to you know revenue costs and you know why you should be doing or not doing certain things it's not based on fear like you know what if i get hacked or this that, and the other of course that is part of the equation but it, you know it's really just not something that the board typically will you know look at so really looking at it from a pragmatic sense in terms of business uh, and dollars right so that's a huge differentiator, at least I, I believe it is, and that's what people have told me uh, on why they would have me do it versus someone else who usually goes in with you know, the NIST CSF framework, uh, go through a checklist and basically do some sort of audit and then a gap assessment. Um, that's, uh, I think, of two very, very different approaches with fairly different outcomes. Can you give us an example of what type of assessments you're providing for customers and what are the outcomes based on your recommendations? So uh, usually it's, well, first off, it's understanding what it is they're trying to solve, right? So, so I, I guess I'll just use an example. So whenever you hire a typical person to go do an InfoSec assessment, uh, they're going to go in with uh, a framework. Uh, and, and I have a framework too, but the, the point is they'll go in with a framework, but they just go through the checklist and they say, oh, you do this, you don't do this. And basically it's based on likelihood and size of impact. And then they come up with this uh, graph, and then they say, you should be doing the things that are both high impact and high risk. You should be mitigating those sort of things. When I go in, I just try to understand, you know, what is this guy's real purpose here? Because I can tell you right now that almost nobody ever hires somebody to do an InfoSec assessment because they actually want one. Um, <laughs> usually they, they're hiring it because they want to get promoted. Um, because they want to look good, um, because they need someone to tell them. CYA. Yeah, exactly. It's CYA. They already know the answer, but they just need someone else to tell them what it is that they can point at it. There's all of these other reasons uh, for wanting to do it. And I would say if you go in and, and if you have a competitive bid and you have three people going in and one person goes in and says, well, I'm going to make you look good. Uh, and I I'm going to make sure that it, we get to this outcome that you are clearly already believe is the, the final outcome. Obviously, I'll you know, validate to make sure it's true, but you know, I understand that's where you want to go. And then versus two other people who are both going in and saying, hey, I'm going to use this specific framework. I'm going to give you a gap analysis based on likelihood. And imp I mean, like it, it's just not even the competition. So give us some stories from the field. What's like the most, I guess, uh, vulnerable company you've uh, had? <laughs> <laughs> to assess. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by this stuff. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that uh, it's... You don't have to say their name. <laughs> I, it's pretty... Well, no, no, I, I know it wouldn't be a name, but uh, I'm trying to come up with some, something entertaining. I, you know, I mean, frankly, whenever it's uh, the most vulnerable, it's not terribly interesting because you just end up with red everywhere. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what I'll say is some of the more interesting stories is what kind of... Uh, how humans behave. You know, I think that's really kind of fun. So I worked with this one company and, you know, uh, did a phishing exercise with them. And, and that's pretty straightforward, right? You just send out a bunch of emails and see how many people click and give you their username and password. Um, and so, uh, you know, at the end of the exercise, and they have thousands and thousands of people, you know, at, at their sort of uh, all hands, because uh, we're trying to make a, a message, right? Send a message out. You know, I, I, I posed the question, you know, how many, of, how many people do you think clicked and gave me their username and password? And the response was, I forget what they were, but it was a variety of responses. But the correct answer was 25%. So by sending out a whole bunch of emails, you know, 25% come back, uh, you know, with the username and password, you know, like we talked about before, right? Hacking is really, really kind of boring, frankly. It's, it's really easy <laughs> when, you, when people give you their username and password. 
So, you know, of course, the solution there was, oh, let's do more training. Let's do, you know, let's do fishing training and so on and so forth, right? So then the company and, you know, just goes and, you know, buys, you know, these packages from, from other vendors that, you know, for, for security awareness training and, you know, everybody, you know, watches the 30 minute thing, which I would argue is probably just left in the background and on mute. Uh, and then, uh, so then the next year did the same exercise and, you know, I, I said, Hey, how many of you, you think clicked and, you know, gave me your username and password. And, you know, they gave me some numbers. I said, you know, do you think that you did better or worse than last year? You know, are you more educated? And everybody said they were more educated, right? That, that one was like a hundred percent, but it turned out that 50% of them gave me their username and password. <laughs> you know, it's because they all felt more confident. So then they clicked more frequently. Uh, so it's just really um, kind of funny what happens, you know, with, with human behavior. So I got to tell, I got to tell a funny story about, all right. So now whether or not this is true, I don't know, but I do trust the source. So I want to say it is true, but they used to sell for no before, uh, no before is a, uh, it's a cybersecurity company. I believe the number one thing they sell is training kind of what you were talking about. They train people how to behave or how to spot phishing and stuff like that. And that was one of the sales tactics that they would use. So they would call you and be like, Hey, how secure are you? And Gary would say, Hey, I'm very secure. They go, yeah. I bet. <laughs> and, it's like, and then like me showing you a screenshot of your internal data and systems be like, how secure can you possibly be? And then like, <laughs> then they would get on the phone right away. Gary would be like, Hey Albert, how'd you do that? You know, but whether that's true or not, I don't know. It's, it sounds like a great story, but what you're talking about is exactly that is like the weakest. So you're only, you know, they say in the military, they say everywhere, right? You're only as strong as your weakest link, but your weakest link is always the people. How do you fix that? Or how are you seeing companies take steps towards fixing the people? Because it's not just a technical thing, right? Where it's like, oh, okay, if we secure systems, we secure networks, we secure firewalls, we secure IoT devices, we can secure a lot of things. We can make everyone do 2FA, whatever. They're still only as strong as the, your weakest link. And the weakest link is usually a person. If a person accidentally opens the gateway, it's whatever the bad actor is going to take, whatever they can take. That's right. So how do you, how do you go about teaching that concept to companies and is it even a solvable problem? I would believe it's solvable, but I don't know. I don't think it's 100% solvable. I, I think that's where you really just got to pick uh, what, where do you want to spend your money, right? So, you know, phishing training is one of the cheapest things you can do and it has good results. So, you know, you can look at it and just say, you know, do I want to be spending money doing something like that? You know, you can do sort of uh, DNS stuff. So things like, you know, Cisco Umbrella, they will, um, you know, that, I found that to be one of the most effective tools that you can have and it, it's super cheap. You know, so basically whenever anybody goes to a website, um, it'll hit against that and check for if it's on a blacklist, for example, right? So uh, the DNS. So, the, you know, you have to use these tools and they're getting better and better every day at detecting, uh, you know, the bad things. You can't rely on the human. Frankly, you should be doing some training uh, and that'll help, but you can't rely solely on it. And what you hope for in a large organization, uh, this works, the, the more people you have, the better it is. Because when you have more people in the organization, chances are that at least one person, generally more than one, but at least one person is going to care about security, have their eyes open and tell you about things, right? So let's say that uh, someone's, I, I like using email as an example, because everyone understands it, but frankly, this applies to any types of hacks. So if you know, someone sends out a phishing campaign to a thousand people at the, at the company, well, at least one of those people is probably going to report it to the information security team. And if the information security team sees that it happens, 
then now it can take action on all the other 999, right? So the point is, is that you really should be training your employees to be sort of extra detection because they're humans, you know, at least one of them is going to find something and they'll tell you about it. And once they tell you about it, then now you can figure out, you know, what happened and then go fix the other times that occurred. Right. So you're not looking for that hundred percent. You're looking for the eyes and ears of your people and then putting in a lot of extra technical controls to help address the issue. So I'm curious, I don't know if you had any insights that you could share from the other side and the other side being like the actual bad actors. Uh, we've talked to some people from, I'll, I'll name these companies. Like, so we talked to some uh, people from a company called Iron Scales and they straight up said like, hey, they're trying to get your like accounts payable companies to like change account numbers, deposit cash, and they're out. Then there were some interesting things from Barracuda Networks about like these bot networks that would drop bots inside of your systems that would make it look like, for example, Google Analytics. Like would make it the script look like Google Analytics. It would spread and proliferate across all your consumer web domains, and it could capture all your web traffic and who knows where it's sending it to. Then there was more recently, just before we started recording, we talked about it this morning. There's a new M1 compromised malware, uh, the Silver Sparrow. It's already said it's on 30,000 max and counting, but there's also not clear what they want to do with it. So we have all different types of bad actors. What are people doing with this information? Because the reason why I ask is I feel like the big level of compromises, they, you know, Target's had them, Marriott's had them, Equifax has happened to them. But then there's also a wave of people, let's say myself, that's been compromised in each of the three attacks, or I also had Yahoo, but then they can't tell that anything bad's happening to them. You know what I mean? No one's opening credit cards against my name, or I don't know what else could happen, but it doesn't feel like bad things are happening to me. So I don't know if like, it's a big deal that my information's getting out. What are you seeing? Like, what are these bad actors wanting to do with this information? The, the email one, I totally understand because they were trying to change uh, accounts payable account numbers and getting the cash and bouncing. I totally understand that's a problem. <laughs> but the other ones, I'm like, what are these companies doing? What are they trying to figure out? I didn't know if you've seen what's going on on the other side. Like, What are these nefarious actors? What are they trying to accomplish? Sure. Well, I would say the vast majority are, are financial related, right? So, um, and I'll explain that in a moment. And then the next one is really, uh, you know, espionage really more for military and that's government type of stuff. So those are kind of the the ones that I, I would say are, are kind of the bigger ones. But in terms of financial, uh, you know, they're going to, as you mentioned, either use the information to directly, you know, take money out from your account, uh, or they're going to be selling off your information. Maybe, you know, someone's got your passport information, somebody else has your banking information. You know, they're going to be selling your information backwards and forwards to each other so that they can, you know, make a complete profile of Albert, right? And then some of those people are not really doing malicious things. They're just going to like, oh, I've got Albert's email address and I want to sell it to a marketing company that, uh, you know, is creating a spam list, right? So um, they'll, they'll do that. And, you know, you probably get a lot of spam. Your information was probably sold for, to some spam list. And then uh, you, you would, uh, in other cases, use that information so that they could log into your Facebook account, right? Maybe they just want to use it as part of their bot. So like someone, for example, they, they keep, trying to log into my Facebook account for, for whatever reason. I, I don't think I'm that popular, but uh, I, I feel good that people are you know trying. Um, <laughs> and, uh, maybe you're connected to some uh, select high net worth individuals. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, I never really use my Facebook. But, uh, but anyway, so they're trying to log in. But a lot of these people, they're trying to do that so that they can use accounts that are established and so that they can start using it to post about other stuff, right? So 
we see on Amazon, for example, that people buy things with a lot of reviews, a lot of five-star reviews. Yep. Um, so a lot of those are fake, frankly, the, the reviews, I mean. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I saw the new hack is they purchased the product under a pseudoname because they have to be able to purchase it to leave the review. And they just ship it to anybody randomly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? They're just like people, people just randomly. Hey, how come I'm not on these lists, guys, of uh, people that get random shit? Like, I want to be on that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you, uh, why don't you just tell everyone your uh, address right now? And, no, uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> if you promise to leave them a five star review, uh, if they do that, I bet you will get a lot. No, nah, it's all junk. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> They actually run these analytics. Uh, so um, there are, you know, there are some uh, firms, I don't want anyone going after me. So I'll just say that there are, like, for example, uh, a website that caters to uh, online reviews of restaurants. And they do analytics uh, to figure out who are the people who basically just leave five-star reviews for everybody. Uh-huh. And those people get invited to go to uh, new restaurants. So because they know that those people will leave a five-star review. So basically, they'll, they'll ask the restaurant to pay for this extra package, right? And as part of that package, uh, what they do is identify five-star reviews. Uh, and then they- That's how that El Pollo Loco always has four and a half stars in Los Angeles. I'm like, what is happening here? This can't be the best taco spot in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they play those games and it's real. They're real reviews. And so they, they do all sorts of these things that they, they can just figure it out, right? So your information can get monetized in very, very unique ways. And, you know, I, I used to uh, work with um, like DMVs and things like that. And, and one of the problems that would happen is that people would, you know, go in and bribe uh, the people at the front desk to make a fake ID. Uh, and that's just yeah. stuff you can do, right? Uh, and if they know about you, they know that you you have like a card balance, uh, you know, a, a lot, you're, you're having trouble paying off your credit cards. You know, that's good leverage, uh, frankly, on you. And then if you really want to go to sort of the more government side, you know, you can take those Ashley Madison lists. Uh, hopefully you're not on that, Albert. Um, but <laughs> the- Oh, I know about that. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley Madison, the cheating network, the, the network that helps you cheat and they like busted it or they hacked it, right? It was like 300 million. It was like, it was an extraordinary number of accounts. I was not. I did not have an Ashley Madison account. I can say that with certainty. Um, <laughs> but there were people that did get caught, like for sure. Like you said, political officials, businessmen. I think they also uncovered that's like eighty three percent men. So there's not really that many women do, looking to do this. <laughs> but yeah, that I mean, that's more. That I could. I, I I agree. That's political leverage right there. Exactly right. So you can use that sort of thing. So I would say first thing, monetize what you can. And then the second thing you would, uh, you could have political pressure for, for whatever reason. Uh, but it's good that you don't believe that you've been compromised any of those ways. So that, that's awesome. Well, I don't know. I'm sure I've been compromised, but so, so far, as far as I could tell, my life is not uh, materially worse. And if you're out there trying to make my life worse, please don't. Uh, it's, I don't want that at all. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I, try, you know, I don't want that at all. Please don't do that to me. But I will say, because there's a level of, I guess, uh, desensitizing, I think that's happening potentially because people always hear about these hacks. But you know, if they don't feel like their life is materially changing in any way, it's tougher for them to believe that this is a problem, you know, or it's like, oh, this is just happening. But like the way you describe it, like it's monetized in a darker way. And maybe it's not that big of a deal where it's like you're okay with getting spam. You know, maybe, maybe you're one of the lucky people. But if you're the unlucky person where they're actually like, 
have your account number somehow and they're going to run a wire out of your bank account, then that's a, that's a serious problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. It's a, it's a huge detection problem. Um, and so that's, you know, that, that's it. People don't only spend money on things they can detect. So the, uh, the one thing that we would say, you know, we talked about, like I said, at the beginning of the conversation, the other thing that we're starting to see is that in this, it's not just you, a couple other cybersecurity people have said this, the level of people that are patient. Let's go with the Silver Sparrow thing that's happening right now. They're saying it's in 30,000 M1 MacBooks. As far as the cybersecurity companies like AVG and Malwarebytes were listed, they've all detected it, but they don't know what it does. It's like not, it doesn't do anything yet. It's just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Is it just sitting there waiting to be deployed or is it actively, it, it looks because they were all saying it's, it does not appear to be actively recording any type of data right now, but it is on your computer. Well, obviously, I, if they don't know, I don't know either. Uh, they're researching it. No, but what, what what would be the reasoning? What would be the reasoning from like the evil guy's point of view? Like, why why have a infection that doesn't do anything, or does it is it just like? Oh, it, it probably does something. Um, so well, I know it does something. <laughs> they, don't, we don't know what it is. <laughs> well, the way that a lot of these things work is they don't. It you know over the past you know malware has evolved uh, with the times, and so. One of the things that it typically does right now uh, is it uses uh, what's called uh, command and control. Uh, so what happens is the malware is on there, and it doesn't really have it doesn't really do anything. What other than you know call back to the central server to find out what the uh, you know the next orders are, right? So basically, it'll reach out to the bad guy server and say, "Hey, what do you want me to do next?" And as long as that server doesn't tell it to do anything, it doesn't do anything, and so. It, you won't see it until the bad guy decides that they wanted to wipe your hard drive or they want to steal your password list. At that point, they're going to put it on that server. And then the next time that that malware reaches out, it'll do whatever it says. Um, so that's why you're not really going to see anything until it's actually you know, working, right? If that makes sense. It's like some Mission Impossible stuff right now. <laughs> yeah. You got like this soldier that's not activated inside your computer. It's going to, who knows, do what. Exactly. And people will, are really creative, right? So like if you think that, Watching uh, videos is totally fine because a video file is not an executable. Well, what if your video player um, was really the malware piece, but it you know it passes all the scans because it doesn't really you know it it, it on its own isn't going to trigger. But what happens is, let's say that you watch Mission Impossible, and for whatever reason, Mission Impossible was coded as the trigger for it to then like basically explode your laptop. I'm, I'm making that up, but um, basically. You know, you wouldn't have thought that watching a video would cause that, but that was actually what was needed. That was the event that it was looking for. And so, you know, you you get some very, very creative people doing very, very creative things. Not looking forward to the future. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Whenever we talk to cybersecurity people, I'm always like, man, IoT just doesn't seem like something I want. <laughs> I want less internet in my house. I'm going. My future house, Aaron, is going to have. Aaron, we should break the fourth dimension, by the way, more often between producer and host. Um, I'm just letting you know right now. But in the future, Aaron knows me well. I'm going to have a kettlebell and a surfboard, and that's it. No, no, no connected, no connected anything. I'm going to live in a hermit by the beach. <laughs> All right, so you're a surfer, huh? I hope to be. <laughs> I try to be. I try to be. That's awesome, Gary. Let's. Uh, l- we're going to change the conversation a little bit. I want to thank you, first of all, for sharing about your business career, but now it's time for our audience to know about you outside of the business world. And it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Gary, this is where we ask you questions about, you know, just not related to work. Oh, that sounds like fun. 
All right, you ready? I am. All right. You went to MIT. Is that right? That is. Were you smart or not smart at MIT? The reason why I ask is my cousin went to MIT and she said it was the first time she realized she wasn't special, which I thought was, dang, I thought you were special. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think if you asked anybody who goes to MIT, yeah, you would feel pretty dumb. You know, there are just so many smart people there. And there, it's just, it's an amazing place uh, if you like to learn, but it is a terrible place if you want to build (laughs) (laughs) self-confidence. What was the first thing you did post MIT? We always assume that people that go to schools like this, they just have it made. They just know exactly what they want to do. Like when you graduated, what was the next thing you did? Uh, well, work-wise, I went to uh, Accenture um, and uh, worked as an IT consultant. Uh, so that was a lot, a lot of fun. A lot see a lot of different projects. But in terms of personal life, I stayed uh, around in the Boston area uh, and you know just hung out with my friends, kind of like, still like college, except that now we had money and uh, we could go do stuff. <laughs> so, um, so that was a lot of fun. What do you like to do for fun? So I enjoy uh, mentalism, actually. So what is that? So it's it's kind of like magic. Uh, so it's a some people will say it's a branch of magic. Some will say it's completely different. But basically, it's magic the card game. Oh no 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 no. Uh, so uh, like magic uh, performances. So doing mentalism. So doing that you know that that thing where you sort of like put your hand against your head and you pretend to really concentrate uh, and read other people's minds. Uh, so it's really just mind games. It's a lot of fun. Well, Gary, I appreciate you joining us today on IT Visionaries and sharing your hobbies of mentalism, as well as some of your experiences in the IT business consulting infosec sector. Thank you for joining us today on our show. Awesome. Well, it was a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.